Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. And uh, from Second uh, Corinthians chapter twelve, and he really related that passage to, I guess, you know, being a father and. Um, it's not an easy, not an easy job to be a dad. Um, it, it's hard work, and there is much suffering involved. I was reading earlier this week by um, John some stuff from John Piper, and uh, he he talked about a, a woman by the name of Phibia Perpetua. Anyone heard of Phibia Perpetua? Anyway, in the story, he, he says, he goes on to say this, in 202 AD, the Roman emperor Septimus Severus issued an edict making conversion to Christianity illegal. The resulting persecution was felt most severely in Carthage on the North African coast. Phibia Perpetua, a 22-year-old mother of an infant son, along with her servant girl who was eight months pregnant, was arrested for joining a class of Christian believers. Perpetua nursed her child in prison and made arrangements with her mother to take him if anything should happen. The servant girl gave birth to her child in prison. When Perpetua's father learned that she was to be thrown into the arena with wild beasts, he tried to get her out, but he was beaten instead. On the day of the execution, the men were taken first. Among them was Sartorius, the Bible class leader. He stopped at the gate for one last word of testimony with Pudens, the prison governor, who later turned to Christ and became a martyr himself. The men were sent into the arena with a bear, a leopard and a wild boar. As Sartorius was mangled by the beast, the spectators shouted, He is well baptised. Next, Perpetua and her servant were stripped and sent into the arena to face a mad heifer. The torture soon became too much for the crowd and they cried, Enough! Enough! The women were taken to the executioner. Perpetua called out to some grieving friends, Give out the word to the brothers and sisters. Stand fast in the faith. Love one another. And don't let our suffering become a stumbling block to you. The first blow of the gladiator was not sufficient. Perpetua cried out in pain, took the gladiator's hand and directed the sword to her throat. Pretty confronting, I thought. Um, a woman who believed what she believed and lived like she believed what she believed. And as I thought of that, I thought, you know, as fathers, today we celebrate Father's Day, and yes, being a parent is a tough job. Being a Christian parent is even tougher. I just thought that that little story there by uh, about Phibia Perpetua really made makes parenting look easy, but no doubt it's still not easy. So today I want to sort of talk on that and I want to help us as fathers, well not only as fathers, but as um, parents, as aunties, as uncles, as grandparents, as Christians, you know, what can we do in terms of parenting our children? Now I'm not going to give you a whole list of do's and don'ts. Uh, I just want to really give you one thing to take away with you this morning. So as we consider Father's Day and parenting as a whole, you know, let's remember that it's it's filled with lots of joy. Being a parent can be very joyful, and yet it's also filled with much sadness. You know, watching our kids move on when they grow up can be a sad thing. Watching them make mistakes is a sad thing. We have happy times, but not without the sad times. We can laugh and we can play with our children and we can argue and we can disagree with them. All in all, parenting is a hard job with much suffering. 
Our text this morning, um, really I just want to focus on Colossians chapter 3.21. Um, I want that to kind of be the, the, the springboard of where we're going this morning. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And I guess the obvious question is this. Fathers, do you exasperate your children? If so, then you need to stop. But let's first ask, what does exasperate mean? It's a pretty big word. Well, to exasperate means to either annoy, to irritate, or excite a person to anger. It basically means to make somebody angry. Do you make your children angry? Do you irritate them? Do you annoy them? The text says we're not to do that. So related to our text, it means to make our children angry, annoyed, or irritated. So does it, does it mean that when, when they've been on the Xbox for too long or the PlayStation too long, we have to be very careful about how we ask them to turn it off in case we uh, irritate them or annoy them or make them angry? I don't know if you have that problem. You might not have teenagers yet, but once you get teenagers and they're into that sort of thing, uh, you can make them very angry when you say, right, that's enough, turn it off, you've been on there too long. Does it mean that when we ask them to tidy their rooms and they refuse to, we kind of stop and leave it because we don't want to annoy them or upset them or make them angry? Is that what it means by fathers not exasperating your children? Or does it mean that we, we never push them into going to school to get a, an, an education because they just really hate school and we don't want to make them angry. Is that what it means by fathers? Do not exasperate your children. No, I don't believe it has anything to do with that specifically. Of course, when they've been on the Xbox or PlayStation too long, they need to get off it. Of course, they must tidy their rooms because their rooms look a mess. <laughs> course they, they need to go to school because they need an education. I don't think any of these really have anything to do with what our text is saying. And so what then does it mean in light of parenting? And I might add that this is an exhortation not only to fathers, this is an exhortation to mothers as well. This is an exhortation to grandparents. This is an exhortation to uncles and aunties, to anyone who has some kind of influence over our children. It could be an exhortation to our Sunday school teachers. It could be an exhortation to youth pastors. Yes, it's to fathers, but it's also to anyone who has the capacity to parent children. So mothers and grandparents need to heed to this too, as well as uncles and aunties. So to understand where the Apostle Paul is going with this, we need to know where he's come from, right? We need to know where he's come from to get to this point. It didn't just come out of the blue. This wasn't like just an afterthought he had, you know. He's been talking about all this other stuff, and then, oh, I just mentioned parents now and fathers. No, no, he's come from somewhere to get to this point, and we know where he's come from, don't we? He's come from chapter 1. And in chapter 1, what is he seeking to do? Make much of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on the earth, things invisible and things visible. All things were created by him and for him. And so that's where he's kind of come from. He's come from making much about Jesus Christ and he gets to here and he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. And so we want to know why he gets to this point after making much of Jesus Christ. So remembering that he wrote this letter to the church at Colossae because Colossae at the time were being bombarded with teaching which sought to minimize the supremacy 
and the sufficiency and the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was teaching going on at Colossae amongst the Colossians that was trying to minimize who Jesus really was. They're trying to say, no, Jesus isn't supreme. Jesus isn't sufficient. Jesus isn't sovereign. And in our day and age, we don't escape any of that kind of onslaught, do we? You don't have to go too far before you realize that this world does not view Christ as supreme. That this world does not view Christ as sufficient. And this world does not view Christ as sovereign. Teenage girl recently from uh, Sweden gained notoriety when she organized and led a climate change protest. You may have seen her on TV or in the papers. And really her, her point is that she would like the leaders of, of countries around the world to take responsibility for the damage that we are doing to our environment. The effects of pollution, she claims, will ultimately destroy the world. Scientists back her claims and suggest that the world is headed for destruction in the not-too-distant future if things don't change. You see the problem with that? The problem with that for me is that, no, Christ is sovereign over this universe. And if it's going to end, he will end it. Isn't that what the Bible tells us? That he has control over the universe, not pollution. Isn't that a crazy thought? I mean, this world has been around, I guess, for, depending on your view, 6,000 years at least, maybe just a little bit more. And has it ended yet? All the pollution that's been happening in the world, has it ended yet? Why? Because God is sovereign. He holds it all together according to Colossians 1.17. He holds it all together. If anyone's going to stop this world from turning around on its axis, it's going to be God. But, folks, that's the reality. That's the view of the world today. And I want to be honest with you. I don't have an issue with their course for a pollutant-free world. I mean, it would be nice to know that you could swim in the Murray River without bumping into a bit of poo. <laughs> or, you know, I mean, sucking in chemicals that you know, just backwashed into the river. I mean, that would be nice. And not finding fish floating on the top of it. And so... I get that, and you know, and Adam was told to care for and have dominion over this world. And as part of the fall, it just everything turned to weeds. <laughs> and so the that's not a real issue for me. But humanity is not in control of the world; our sovereign God is. Humanity cannot determine the end of this world; our sovereign God does. You read your Bible; He knows the hour and the time. And humanity, no matter how good their deeds are, cannot alter the outcome that our sovereign God has by his wisdom determined for this world. Amen. He is in control. We are not. He is sovereign. We are not. And he determines all things. We don't. So the climate change advocates highlight the real problem in this world that people are without Christ. That people are without Christ. You see, if you had Christ, you would view the world a whole lot different. You would have a biblical view of the world rather than a worldly view of the world. And so just as the church of Colossae were being bombarded with teaching with salt to minimize the supremacy and sufficiency and sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ. The world to today is bombarded with the same lies. 
Unfortunately, it's not only a problem in the world. It's a problem also in the churches. Last night I attended the, the local school chaplain's dinner and uh, had, a, had a wonderful time catching up with the other chaplains and uh, hearing what they had to say about their ministry in schools and, um, and having a, a dinner there and, and catching up with some of our guys here who came along to support. Um, it was really encouraging. Encouraging the hair school chaplains are making a difference by meeting many of the needs in our community that our community has I felt like from what I heard was that what our community needs is either food parcels, programs, reassurance, understanding, and even the church. Now you might find that interesting. You might disagree with me. But what I heard was that, you know, it's about helping people with food parcels. It's about making a difference to the lives of people by uh, providing some kind of counselling to reassure them that it's okay, they're going to do wonderful in the future, uh, to, to kind of comfort them now and make them feel good now and run programs so that they can feel good now. And that even to connect the community to the church. Not once did I hear that Christ, Christ is our greatest need. Do you see the, the difference? That Christ is our greatest need. Yes, it's not wrong to, to give people food parcels. We as Christians should be doing that. We as Christians should be caring for our community. That's why God has planted us here in a community so that we as Christians can be the light to the world, so that we can go out there amongst our community who have great needs and we can try to help and meet those needs. Jesus fed the 5,000 who were hungry people. And so we go out and we try to meet the hungry people and try to, to feed them as best we can. And if, if they are struggling in life and they need some counselling, who better to counsel them than God's people? Who better to bring comfort to them than God's people? Because we have the comforter. He's a shelter in a time of storm. So when these people are, are struggling and they feel like they're in a storm, we come along with the good news that our God brings comfort and peace in a time of storm. Who better to do that than us, Amy? And yes, if we, we can run programs and we can try and connect the community to the church. The problem with that, folks, is that the church looks more like the Saviour than Jesus. Do you see that? When we say we just want to connect the community to the church, what we're saying is come to church and you can be like us. And who knows, you might even get to heaven. But come along to church. Church and Jesus Christ are different in the sense that only Christ saves. There is no other name by which men can be saved except what name? I heard, let's say that again. Except by what name? Amen. You know it. So do you see my disappointment? And not once did I hear that Christ was our, or is, not was, but he is still our greatest need. And that's not that we shouldn't meet these needs that people need, but that as a Christian we should know better. That Christ is a, a person's greatest need. In fact, the people were unaware we were Christians. I, 
They didn't know that we were actually Christians and we were doing all this stuff. Don't be disappointed if they thought you were a humanitarian. Don't be disappointed if they thought you worked for the Red Cross. If that's all you're doing, because that's all they do. They do that kind of work too, don't they? And if that's all we're doing without Christ, we are no different. So don't ever be disappointed if you're involved in that sort of work and that's all you do and someone mistakes you for being somebody who works at the Red Cross or the Seroptimus or any other humanitarian focus group. We are not a man-centered people. We are Christ-centered people. We see that Christ is the greatest need that people have. And that's always been the Apostle Paul's point. It's always been the Apostle Peter's point. It's always been Jesus' point. Unless I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself, he said. And so we lift them up. <laughs> and so I don't say this, folks, as a criticism or judgment on our school chaplains, to be honest with you. I feel for them because they... Uh, operating under the leadership of their pastors and their schools ministry group leaders and, and under their schools because many of their schools, you know, have restrictions on what you can do and say. So and I get that. But I don't get it when I read stories about martyrs who despite the law, we heard about Fibia Perpetua, it was a law not to become a Christian. Did that stop her? No. It didn't stop her. But it cost her dearly. Her life here on earth. But what she lost here, she gained with Christ. But I get that, that it's a struggle for some of them to mention Christ because of all those restrictions. But really my criticism isn't against the school chaplains. My criticism is against the pastors, the preachers, the leaders, the Bible teachers who constantly make Christ appear to be insufficient, to be powerless, and to not be the main point of Christianity, who just numb it down. That's where my criticism lays. And I say this as a warning to us, lest we fall into the same trap. My prayer is that we don't fall into that trap of being humanitarian without Christ. In fact, when you consider all the, the great humanitarian efforts, guess where they began? From the church. And the church has kind of, over the years, stepped back and let the world take over. We need to step forward into the right place where we can do this right, where it can be made evident that we are here because we see Christ as the greatest need that people have. So I say this as a warning to us, lest we fall into the same trap. And so I was made aware once more that not only is the world Christless, but it sounds as if even the churches too. I could be wrong. Why do I say all this? Because as we consider the text that we're looking at, chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. We need to understand that if we took it without the context, we took this verse without the context, we could easily end up missing the point. We could easily become fathers or mothers or grandparents or aunts or uncles who train our children to become religious adults or great humanitarians. And we want to avoid that. We don't want our children becoming adults and thinking that, that church attendance entitles them to being a Christian. We don't want them to think that just by rocking up to church and on a Sunday morning makes them a Christian. We don't want them to think that going to a Christian school makes them a Christian. We don't want them to think that, that riding on mummy and daddy's back is going to entitle them to get to heaven. <laughs> Remember, God is called the Father 
and he is never called a grandfather. They must have a personal relationship with him. And so we want to avoid that. We don't want them to, as adults, believe that the measure of their Christianity is whether they are able to follow certain rules and refrain themselves from other rules or other things they shouldn't do. <laughs> we don't want our children's Christianity to become more like a humanitarian effort rather than a gospel effort. And so how do we guard against that? How do we ensure that they don't travel that road? Well, let me first say there is no guarantee here. There is no guarantee. We can do, we, we can do all that we can, but we cannot save our children. I mean, we can put rules in place that protect them from, from making silly mistakes, and they may still make silly mistakes. Well, you know, we can bring them to church every Sunday until they're 18 and then we give them a bit of freedom and they may never come back to church. How many parents have had that? There is no guarantee. That's what I'm saying. You know, no matter what we do, it is not a guarantee. Yes, Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, Train your child in the way they should go so that when they are older they may not depart from it. That's not a guarantee. It says that they're going to learn some good things and, you know, when they get older, they may put them into practice. But they may not. I think, you know, experience and reality teaches us something different, doesn't it? Does it mean the Bible's wrong? No. <laughs> the Bible's not wrong. It's just that's the reality when you're dealing with fallen people. You know, our children aren't innocent. Did you know that? We don't have innocent children, although we'd like to think we do. Sometimes we wish they were. But the reality, reality is our children are as fallen as we are, are as sinful as we are, in their own children way. You never teach a child how to do wrong. Have you noticed that? They just know it instinctively. It becomes, it's natural. And God doesn't send, innocent people don't go to hell. Do you know that? All have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, so people who end up in hell deserve to be in hell. Why? Because we're all sinners, falling short of the glory of God. And God is just, God is righteous, God is not unfair. He is impartial. And that word impartial doesn't mean that, you know, he looks at you and says, oh, you're good, you're not. That word impartial related to God means that he judges righteously. In 1 Peter, uh, we've been studying 1 Peter, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 17, that, that our Father judges impartially. And then in chapter 2, it says, at the end of chapter 2, that he is a just and righteous judge. They are the same thing. God judges righteously, impartially, means the same thing. He favours no one. He doesn't favour anyone here because of what they do, but only because of Christ, because they are in Christ. And so um, we should desire for our children the desire that we have for Christ. We should desire with all our hearts for our children to come to Christ. We should desire with all our hearts to see the love that we have for Christ being emulated in our children. The Christ we know should be the Christ they know. And the Christ we know is the Christ we find in the Scripture. You will never know God any other way. You will never know Jesus any other way. You can look at the stars you can look at the sky for as long as you live, but you will never know who he is apart from the word. Our experiences don't confirm truth. The truth confirms our experiences. 
And often when we come to the Bible with our feelings, with our emotions, with our experiences, and we put it on the text, and we say, well, this is what it surely means. No, the text explains our experiences and our feelings and uh, our emotions. And uh, it should be the, the driving force um, for all of that. And so um, with that in mind, we want to know what it says about parenting. And so there needs to be a measure of trust that is that trusts the Lord in all things, even in parenting. And as I think about uh, my time being a, a father, and I'm still a father, it doesn't stop once you're a father. I don't think it stops until you die or your children pass away. And you're always kind of a father. Um, but I think about my time as a father, and I think, you know, if there's one thing I've learned, it's to trust the Lord with all my heart. Uh, I don't have all the answers sometimes for my children. And sometimes my children don't want the answers. And I just have to pray and trust him that he is working things. So how do we guard against becoming fathers or parents who exasperate their children? And how do we encourage them not to lose heart? One thing, one thing that we as fathers, as mothers and parents, as grandparents and, and uncles and aunties who claim to be Christian, one thing, one thing that we must do, and that is to continually point them to Christ. Because that's where we are. Have a look at the beginning of chapter 3, the Colossians in verse 1, and uh, it, it says there, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, have you been raised with Christ? No? Nobody here raised with Christ? Can't be a Christian if you haven't been raised with Christ. John has. Thanks, John. You've been raised with Christ? Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, it's speaking to the Colossians, but it's speaking to you and I too. Keep seeking the things above. If you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. Why? Because that's where Christ is. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So you keep seeking the things of above because that's where Christ is. That's where he is seated at the right hand of God. And in verse 2, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden where? With Christ in God. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, as fathers, as parents, as uncles, as aunties, as grandparents, we seek the things above. Why? Because that's where Christ is, and that's where our minds need to be on Christ. That's where we should be looking to Christ. You see, it's hard for someone to talk about Christ if they're not there. It's hard for someone to make much of Christ if, if it's not there. That's why we need to do this. We, we, we need to set our minds on the things above because Christ is there. And the more you do that, the easier it comes out. Do you get what I mean? Because our, our responsibility, folks, is if we stand before Jesus at the beam of seat on Judgment Day, and we give an account, you will give an account. Seriously, I'm not doing this to, to scare you, to threaten you. I'm doing this to warn you. I'm saying this to warn you. You will give an account. Yes, you're in Christ, saved only by grace. But you will stand before him and give an account of your life here as a Christian. The things that you have done in his name and how you have spoken about him. In Mark's gospel, it says, Go, therefore, and preach the gospel. Well, tell the gospel. Where does that start? In our homes. 
What is the gospel? It's the good news about Jesus. From the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, the first gospel message ever pronounced, guess where it is? The book of Genesis. And I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and her child. And he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. That was the first gospel pronounced in the Garden of Eden. And it just goes on and on. This whole book is just the good news. The whole Bible is the good news. If you've not seen it the way, then you're missing something. You've missed the good news. Yes, there's lots of bad news. But the bad news makes the good news look so much more better. Yes, God in his sovereignty took people out with, without a blink of the eye. Children as well as mothers and fathers and grandparents. Why? Because they were innocent? No one's innocent. He took them out justly. The good news is he promised not to take his people. And so the whole Bible is the good news. Set your mind on the things above. Is that where our minds are? You know, how, how can we point people to Jesus if our minds aren't there? And what tends to happen is if our minds aren't there, we tend to point them to rules. We tend, we tend to, to make much of maybe the church or maybe doing good things rather than Christ. Rather than Christ. As fathers, as parents, uncles and aunties and grandparents, we seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We set our minds on the things above and not on the things of this world. The corresponding verse to Colossians 3.21 is Ephesians 6.4. It says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of good religion. The discipline and instruction of following rules. The discipline and instruction of church attendance. The discipline and instruction of how to own a Bible. No. It says the discipline and instruction of the law. <laughs> that's a light moment you know the light goes on and goes wow is that what it is I just keep teaching them about the Lord why not isn't he supreme isn't he sufficient isn't he sovereign isn't he amazing why would we not talk about him why would you not talk about him? Any reason I think there are many reasons, I guess. One of them is that because we don't really know him. The only reason why you wouldn't talk about somebody in detail is because you don't really know them that well, right? Next, John. Or maybe it's because we're afraid of what other people might think of us. If we do start talking about him, maybe we don't want to break the rules. You know, we don't want to break the rules because the rules are set in place to stop us talking about him. Maybe we just don't want to offend people. You know, because if we offend people, then they won't like us anymore. I've been a Christian now for 20 years and I'll tell you right now, I've offended many people. I've probably offended you. But that's little reward for what will come when I stand before Jesus. If I should die offending people for the sake of the gospel, Praise the Lord. 
you should be persecuted for offending people because you've told them all about Jesus. Praise the Lord. The last thing we want to do is stand before Christ and you know, he says, oh, but tell me, how, how did you spend your time down there on earth? I don't know if you can say this, but you know, you sort of sanctified imagination, as Des would say. Uh, how did you spend your time down here, there on earth? Well, Lord, you know, we helped a lot of homeless people. We, we fed them soup and, and, and you know, we um, met a lot of the needs in the community. And uh, we just loved on them, you know, and just showed them that we are a loving, caring people. And, and uh, you know, we, we do all this kind of stuff. We put money into different charities so that they could help people. And, uh, you know, we told people that, you know, they'll be fine, you know, that life throws lots of heartache towards your way, but one day you'll get over it. And what did you tell them about me? Oh, no, Lord, no, 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 I wasn't going to go there. Why? Lord, do you know what they'll do to me? Are you for real? You don't. You don't understand, Lord. They will hurt me. They, they may hate me. They may dislike me. They may say bad things about me. Oh, I can't do that, Lord. What will he say? Did you not read my word? You will be persecuted because of me. People will hate you because of me. You desire to live a righteous life, you will be persecuted because of me. It's oh so easy just to push it all aside and think that we're doing just great. I don't want us to be like I don't want to be like that. I don't want you to be like that. I want you to be sold out for Jesus. More than I am sold out for Jesus, mate. I want you and I to join together and tell this community and tell this world that Christ is who they need. I want us as fathers and mothers and parents and grandparents and aunties and uncles be able to sit with our children, tell them all about Jesus, point them to Christ. He is their only salvation. He is their only hope. Without him there is no hope for this world. Without him there is no hope for our children. So that's where I want us to go with all of this. You know, fathers, we have a hard job and I'll finish here. Because we are the heads of the households. And we have a responsibility not only to our children, not only to our wives, but also to the Lord. The responsibility we have to them, to our children and to our wives, and to the Lord is to make much of Jesus Christ. To point people to Jesus Christ. That's why I emphasize Bible study. If you're not in a Bible study and you're not regularly studying the scriptures, then you need to be. You need to be there. That's how you learn about him. That's how you 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 get to know him. It's through the word of God that tells us about him. And so we emphasize it here. Even if feel like I'm trying to force it on you, that's okay. Maybe I am, but I see the importance of it. It's like a child when you know they're going to hurt themselves, you just stand back and watch them and wait. I think, aha, good job. Yeah, yeah, no, you shouldn't have done that. You should have listened to me. No, we don't do that. I cannot imagine a father here would ever do that to his child that he says he loves. 
And it makes a mockery of our Father in heaven. He doesn't sit back and watch us and does nothing to help us. That's worse than the Father I had. And maybe some of you had. That you would think of God like that. That he can't do nothing, even though he's all-powerful. <laughs> he's omnipotent. Yet he can't help you. And he wouldn't dare try to. I would think my dad did a better job than God. At least when I was struggling and hurting, my dad came and helped me. Our God does the same. He is not a restricted father. He is all powerful, all moving, and he loves his children to the point that his, his son Jesus came, God came down in the flesh in Jesus Christ, and he died for his children. What more could you ask for? Point our children to Christ. I'll tell you what will happen if we don't point them to Christ. We'll just develop another church of friendly people, helpful humanitarian people who are Christless. I've shared this story before by um, Donald Gray Barnhouse. I don't know if I shared it here, but I have with our Bible study group. And he says, you know, what would happen if the devil became mayor of Philadelphia? He said, there'd be no problems. There'd be no violence. There would be no trouble. Everyone would greet everyone on the street. Imagine that it was here in Murray Bridge. If the devil was the mayor of Murray Bridge, if he was the mayor here, there'd be no violence, there'd be no crime, no drug abuse, there'd be no alcoholism, there'd be none of that. Everyone would greet everyone. We'd all get along really well. The churches would be full every Sunday, every Wednesday. And people would be there for nearly half the day and they would be happy. They said, but Christ would not be preached. But Christ would not be preached. If the devil was the mayor here, Christ would not be preached. And everyone would be happy and comfortable. If you ever get a chance to read uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, you want to do it. And uh, it's an interesting book. And uh, he takes an interesting twist on things. And he kind of puts the... The, the devil in the place of, you know, the, the, the sovereign power and, and God is the enemy. And uh, we are the patients. And his job is to make sure that the patients don't trust the enemy. <coughs> and one of the methods, he says, is to get them comfortable, get them happy like they feel they have no need for the enemy. Are you pointing your children to Christ and Christ alone? Are you confident that they know that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life? And do you do that constantly? Constantly, with much prayer, with much pleading? Do you sit down with them and do you read the scriptures with them? Instruct, admonish and instruct them in the Lord. And do you help them to recognize that Christ is their only hope? Patrick Henry once said, I have now disposed of all my property to my family. There is one thing more I wish I could give them, and that is faith in Jesus. They had that and I had not given them a single dollar. They would have been rich. And if they didn't have faith in Jesus and I had given them all the world, they would be poor indeed. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for your word this morning. And then help us, Lord, as fathers, particularly as the heads of households here, to not exasperate our children towards the things of the Lord. Help them not to be discouraged 
about you, Lord. Help them to have a healthy anger towards the things of the world because they are so corrupt and they destroy. But help them, Lord, help us, Lord, as fathers, as mothers, as aunties, as uncles, as grandparents, to teach and to admonish our children in the Lord. Lord, if we we are lacking in our understanding and knowledge of you, Lord, please put that on our hearts this morning. And help us, Lord, give us a, a, a desire for your, your word, give us a hunger for your word to know you more and to know you better so that we might be able to express it better. Help us to fulfill Romans 10, Lord, how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear unless somebody goes and tells them? For faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And Lord, just help us, Lord, please, to make much of you. We live in a world today, and unlike any other day in history, where people are running and gravitating towards and grabbing all kinds of things, thinking that is the answer, that their needs can be met in things or in people or in having things. But Lord, we know best. We know better. But as Christians, their needs can only be met in Christ. Should they die today, they go to a lost eternity. So help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.